0: Thank you, Julia. Good to have Julia back. She's been on uh, way for on continuing education for the past couple of weeks, and it's uh, always a, a thrill to have you back. We missed you the last few weeks, and I'm um, excited, especially of course, about a uh, camp meeting month. Uh, let's welcome Julia back um, together. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, I'm freezing. Is anybody else cold, or is it just me? Everybody's cold everybody's cold. Okay, that's helpful to know. Okay, we had some work done on the vents and the ducts in the last uh, week or two, and um, I think it's, um, it has improved circulation, so to speak. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah, I, um, I didn't know if it's just me. I, I don't get cold with this robe on, but I, I am today. So we, actually, we do that just to keep y'all awake uh, during the sermon, so um, appreciate y'all. Um, um, going with the flow on that. No, we'll, we'll get that taken care of. Um, so um, next week, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I think I got a pretty good sermon today, but um, next week the bishop's coming. So that's really cool. Um, so you're going to want to invite your next door neighbor. You're going to want to make sure your kids and your grandkids are here. Um, it's, it's really going to be a special time in the life of our church. Um, I understand it's been many, many years since uh, the bishop has uh, been at Wrightsville United Methodist, so uh, that's going to be great. So uh, make plans to be here uh, next Sunday. Again, not to tune out over the next few minutes, but, uh, but that's, that's really going to be a thrill. Um, our scripture for today is Luke 23, uh, beginning in verse 33. Let's see, now there we are. And you, you might recognize, well, I, well, I'll get to that later, forget it. Um, Verse 33, when they come, came to the place that's called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we're getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man's done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, Lord, we do thank you for this day and the opportunity to come to share and worship, to be together with brothers and sisters in Christ on a common mission of giving you praise and honor and glory. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today in our Prayers of the Bible series, we're again looking to Jesus to see what it is that he's praying about. And once again, it turns out he's praying about forgiveness. It seems like this comes up again and again with Jesus. It feels like this is kind of a big deal. Forgiveness. The text is read more often, of course, at Good Friday or during the season of Lent, for the scene takes place from the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Let's jump right in. How in the world can Jesus forgive these people who are in the process of killing him? And yet, one of the most critical things for all of us to grasp is that unless Jesus does this, the cross stands for nothing. Sometimes we're tempted to think, well, you know, it's Jesus, so um, it's easier for him than it is for the rest of us. I don't know. If we somehow think this is easy, then we diminish the struggle and the difficulty of this act. He was, after all, fully human. He felt pain. He had emotions. If it were me, I don't think I could pray that prayer. I mean, that's just me. I stand before you confessing that I'm not there yet. My own history of holding grudges shows that I've withheld forgiveness for far less than what Jesus is going through at this moment. I think I'm growing. I don't think I'm there. Not yet. You know, humans start to lose their faith and trust in God when tragedy strikes close to home. Sure, we give God lots of lip service when a baby is born or something great happens in our life, but I think we're equally quick to condemn God or at least ask the question, how, God, can you let this happen to me? It's more of an accusation, really, than a question when you come to think of it. You know, if you're a God of love, how do you have this happen to me or to my loved ones? No easy answers. But it's into this milieu, if you will, that we find ourselves in the account of the crucifixion and the presence of Jesus giving forgiveness. We learn by observation of this horrific act that Jesus is the supreme example of innocent suffering. His witness to us is that even there, even at the point of torture and death, when he should feel most vulnerable, most exposed, he shows us that God's love never ends. It never takes a vacation. There's never a break. It never stops. It's always reaching out to each of us. His example is our good fortune in understanding that there is one reality that remains whenever it seems like darkness has overcome us. And that reality is God will prevail, even over death. H.G. Wells is often called the father of science fiction, and is probably best known for writing the story, The War of the Worlds. But he once wrote a story entitled, The Country of the Blind, that I think fits today In the story, Wells tells about a hidden valley that shut off from the rest of the world. It had these really high cliffs that made it nearly impossible for people to come in and out of the valley. Well, the valley was inhabited only by blind people, and no one there had ever been able to see. Until one day, a lost and weary traveler stumbled into the country of the blind, and he stayed with them a little while. And as he lived among them, he found himself falling in love with one of their maidens and began considering the possibility of marrying this young woman. However, the blind people thought that this man who could see was so strange. They thought his mind was distracted and confused, cluttered up by his ability to see. They insisted that if he wanted to continue living there and marrying this young woman, that he would have to put his eyes out and become as blind as they are. Well, for a while, the man thought that he could do that. Until one morning, he woke up, and he saw the sunrise. And he saw the mist coming up off the valley floor. And he caught a little drop of dew on a flower petal. And he realized he could not stay in the country of the blind. He climbed up out of the valley and returned to the world of sight. Well, the way in which Jesus forgave allows us to see true light. It allows us to see Jesus not only as the suffering servant, but also as Christ the King. Who but a servant king could understand the relevance of true forgiveness... When Jesus came into our world, he saw things that the world was unable to see. He viewed the world from more than one vantage point. He saw the world both as a carpenter from Nazareth, but also as king of kings and lord of lords. He took up the cause of the sick, the sinner, the outcast. He lived and did things that the rest of humanity could not grasp. He thought thoughts that the world had never thought before. He did deeds that the rest of the world had never seen before. And our world couldn't stand it. It tried to pull him down to its own level. But Jesus refused to be a part of the darkness of the world. Unlike the character in H.G. Wells' story, Jesus did not run away from the darkness. Instead, he conquered it. The place where that victory took place is a hill called Calvary or Golgotha, which means a place of a skull on an old rugged cross that we still sing about today. And as Jesus hung on that old rugged cross, as he prayed to his father to forgive them for they know not what they do, he revealed that there was absolutely no limits to God's willingness to forgive and to pardon. Now, because we are frail, we tend to strike out when we are hurt, when we feel pain. But when we pay attention to our lesson for today, we learn that even when we strike strike out in anger or fear, the cross of Christ calls us to reevaluate our feelings and reevaluate our emotions and reevaluate our actions. We're to be examples of forgiveness, even, and dare I say, especially when it's hard. In fact, Given the emphasis that Jesus puts on forgiveness, one would think that Christians might be better at forgiving others than the rest of the world. Jesus has shown us that there is nothing we can ever do to put ourselves outside of His grace. Nothing. Nothing. One of the remarkable things about what is happening on the cross is the very act that Jesus is praying at all. I was thinking throughout this week, you know, where are the places where we pray the most? Church, probably. Um, maybe in your bed as you go to lie down at night. At the kitchen table as you share in a, in a family meal, perhaps. But the cross? I don't know. I think most of us would agree that if you found yourself on a cross, you would curse the cross, not pray on it. You would scream out in hate and indifference. You might start to cry. If you did start to pray, it would probably be a prayer of desperation to God to get me down from here, right? It's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that Jesus is praying to forgive the very people who put him up there. Now, at least we've had 2,000 years of Christian, Christian history and tradition to consider this incredible act. And while forgiveness wasn't introduced by Jesus, of course, I dare say it was perfected by him. When he walked this earth, forgiveness was really not a very prominent virtue. We've discovered by studying the ancient Romans that they worshipped revenge as one of their gods. They were constantly waging war on other countries that had done them wrong, seeking revenge against them. For them, revenge was a tool in the art of warfare. Revenge was sweetest when you could conquer a people and enslave them and get them to do the things that you wanted to build your roads, to build your cities, the Romans would get whatever they could out of their conquered peoples. But to pray for them? No. They would never have considered such a thing. Certainly not the people who caused you pain in your imminent death. Not from the cross. It would have been shocking to anyone who was present on that day to hear these words. I mean, who thought up this instrument of death anyway, right? I mean, who thought about having nails driven into a person's arms and legs and watching them die a slow death that lasts hours, even days sometimes? What kind of mixed up, muddled up, shook up world do we live in where people think this is a good idea? Crucifixion was accomplished by nailing or tying a person's arms and legs to the cross. The agony was planned. It was anticipated. You were supposed to suffer and become an example to anyone and everyone to never mess with the Romans. Don't try to lead an insurrection against us because this is what will happen. Death actually resulted from exposure and shock and eventual suffocation when the body was so exhausted That breathing in that position was just no longer possible. The victims didn't just die. Of course, they died without any kind of painkiller. And they died trying to breathe, suffocating, struggling. And yet, while all that was happening, Jesus prayed to forgive them. I wonder how many times that day he prayed it. Did he pray it when the soldiers were beating him with clubs and whips? Did he pray it when they thrust that crown of thorns upon his head and said, Hail, King of the Jews? You suppose he prayed that prayer as he was carrying the cross up the hill? Did he pray it as they were driving the nails into his hands and his feet? Did he pray it as he was hanging there with blood dripping down onto the ground? You suppose he prayed that prayer when they were mocking him and saying, if you're really the son of God, why don't you come down from there? How many times do you think Jesus prayed that prayer that day? God hanging on a cross. Who would have thought it? You know, Jesus clearly identified in death as he did in life with the, you know, the regular folk of his time. He hung on the cross and in that suffering, he did in death what he did in life. You know, born homeless, For a little while, he was an immigrant refugee to Egypt as a little baby. As he grew up, he was a rabbi who socialized with the outcasts and the never-were-good-enoughs. Jesus forever stands as a servant to the poor and the downtrodden. And just as clearly, he stands as Christ the King, who welcomes all into his kingdom, even those who would kill him. Y'all, and that's the southern biblical term for brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Y'all, the death of Jesus on the cross is not a matter of an angry God requiring a perfect offering or sacrifice. It is not a case of one member of the Trinity sacrificing another Nor does it represent some kind of agreement between God and Satan, no. The cross is at the center of the Christian faith now and forever because the cross is the window into the heart of God. It reveals the overarching, all-encompassing, never-ending love of God. That empty cross that we look at every week, not only does it stand as a backdrop to when I'm preaching, but we turn to it, right, during the Apostles' Creed and the doxology and the Gloria Patri, because it means something. And I think it's more than just a symbol. I think it's a physical, visible reminder to all Christians that he's not up there anymore. And in fact, he was resurrected three days later. And in that, had Victory. Over sin and death. So when Jesus prays for forgiveness, He's saying to anyone who will listen that the kingdom is near and that all of God's children are now invited to enter into it. That kingdom is present and made available wherever caring relationships are entered into. That kingdom is present wherever justice and mercy are being shown. And membership in this kingdom is not granted because you deserve it, because you're good enough, because you worked so hard. No, it, it, it's, it's offered as a free gift to everybody. That's the good news. And we mark that gift at our baptism. You see, the forgiveness that Jesus prayed about from the cross is not dependent on priests or prophets or pastors or anyone to mediate for them. It's been pronounced by Jesus as free and available to any who ask, seek, or knock. It does not require you to sacrifice anything except maybe your ego, quite frankly. Who but a servant and a king could offer such a gift? Now, you and I are here today because that prayer that Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago is still being honored by God today. That's why the sun shines on the good and the bad, and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. For 2,000 years, his disciples have been going into the world telling people that God paid the price on Calvary's cross for their sins. And for 2,000 years, they've been inviting people to come and be forgiven for those sins. Maybe we'll have another 2,000 years to proclaim that message. Or maybe Jesus comes back before that. I don't know. But right now, that prayer is still being honored. Right now, forgiveness is still being offered. Right now, God's grace is still being extended to you. God will never force it on you, but God offers it, makes it available, and already paid the price for it. It's ours for the taking. He offers that forgiveness even now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Holy God, sometimes we're just in awe. Because some things just don't make sense. That your son Jesus Christ would die for our sins. Now sure, we like to relativize things and we think, well, you know, our sins aren't as bad as the other guys. But we know we fall short. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. Teach us to forgive like you've forgiven us. Help us to be grace-filled and gracious people who will extend love and forgiveness to those who've hurt us and have done us wrong. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.